am I? Good morning. I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to Praise, the program that connects faith and daily life. Radio. God and the Big Bang. Scientists and someone I interviewed over 20 years ago think that religion and science do work well together. This morning we're going to be talking about creation, so I thought we'd start with a celebration of all things bright and beautiful, the setting of those familiar words from the pen of John Rutter, performed by the Cambridge Singers. All things bright and beautiful, the Lord God made them all. And if that's what we believe, how then does scientific fact fit with faith? That's the very question that God and the Big Bang sets out to answer. This is a project created in response to several factors. The Church of England officially declared that there was no conflict between science and faith, and evolution was added to the school curriculum, challenging teachers to marry the Genesis story of creation in the Bible with the scientific facts of evolution. So, 
the God and the Big Bang project was born, giving 10 to 18-year-olds the opportunity to discover, discuss and debate the compatibility of science and faith. The day aims to equip young people with the all-important tools that they need to form their own opinions and engage in well-reasoned and thought-provoking discussion about the place of science in God's world. The God and the Big Bang team were on the island a couple of days ago, presenting the project in St Mary's Roman Catholic School, where they were joined by the children of St Thomas's Church of England School. I met up with them, and now I invite you to meet Suzanne Kalka, a research scientist and experienced classroom teacher who is now the project coordinator, as well as training teachers and delivering the project to secondary schools. Sarah Mooring, another scientist, specialises in science communication and looks after the programme for primary school children. And Dr Matt Pritchard, a highly qualified research scientist, describes himself as an independent science communicator and a magician. I've always had two parallel strands to my life. One is I was doing science research and what I loved about the science research was taking a really complex idea and communicating it in a fresh creative way which led me after finishing my PhD to work in science museums and then now as an independent science communicator working with schools, festivals, doing science shows. So that's one strand of my life. The other strand is I'm a magician. And so ever since I was 10, I've been doing tricks and illusions. And I now, in my job, weave the two together because, well, first of all, magic's a great engagement tool uh, because you see a trick and you want to know more. You see the, the students sit up in their seats. And second of all, when you, when you show a magic trick, you're effectively showing a, a self-contained mystery. And the skills that the students have to try and unravel how the trick works are exactly the same skills that scientists use. So it's uh, uh, they are inadvertently doing science when they're seeing some of my tricks being performed. There's a brilliant clown called Anver the Eccentric. He teaches a lot about performance skills now, and he talks about being interested rather than interesting. And so many performers try and go, ooh, look at me, as opposed to I'm interested in this, and because I'm so passionate and interested, it draws people in. And so in one sense, one of the things we're trying to do with the project is here's a bunch of scientists. We've got these amazing interests. We're fascinated, we're passionate about them. And we hope that draws uh, our audiences in to learn a little bit about our interests. Thank you, Dr. Matt Pritchard. Now let's learn more about the project itself. As coordinator Suzanne Kalka and primary schools administrator Sarah Mooring join the conversation. First, Suzanne. In church schools in primary and in secondary, evolution is part of the national curriculum. Um, so schools have to teach evolution. And in faith schools, we want to teach evolution through a faith context. So we teach evolution as scientists, but we also teach it in a faith context that there is no conflict between God creating through evolution. There is no problem with that. God created through evolution is our message. Sarah, let me bring you into the conversation. You work with primary school children. Do they grasp the idea science and religion works together? Tell me your experience. I think it's been interesting that um, so evolution has fairly recently been introduced into the year six curriculum. And so that's primarily the year group we're working with. It's fascinating to see already at that age that you know, there's two polarised things of, well, we've heard the creation story for most of our 
childhood being in a Church of England school and then suddenly this idea of evolution comes along and I think we sense quite a lot of confusion of or how can these go together. So how do you tackle it then? First of all as Suzanne said trying to convey the message that God has created through evolution and it doesn't have to be you know one thing is true and the other must be false that kind of encouraging the idea of drawing ideas from different sources of knowledge to be able to find truth and also looking at the creation stories in Genesis that we see trying to look at how those are structured as poems and perhaps what messages we can take from those stories even if they're not designed to be used as a a science textbook so looking at those poems we try and encourage students to see you know if you were to write a poem and you wanted a, a message to be conveyed really well you'd repeat something a lot and in those poems in Genesis God created we learn so much about God's character and also that he thinks creation is really good those those two really repeated messages and um, that's what's really important from those I think last Thursday you were working in St Mary's the Roman Catholic school in Douglas here on the island you were joined by the children from St Thomas's the Church of England school so what did you do with them so the day is really aiming to get the children to ask questions and so that's that's the primary focus of the day we have a question and answer session at the end of the day but before that we have various sessions so I started the day off with a very short half hour talk looking at what can the studying the big bang lead to so often you look at the science and the science then leads to bigger questions questions about origins and purpose and significance and and where we're going and then we we broke up into uh, smaller sessions so then the children had three uh, interactive sessions on different areas of science which which linked in faith and it was all about getting them to see things from perhaps a different perspective or to expand their thinking or to ask questions and of course after then these four sessions they've got so many questions percolating in their minds that the uh, the question and answer session is just brilliant because you just get these amazing questions at the start of the day the children wouldn't have thought of at all. Now this is by no means the first time that you've delivered this you've delivered it to something like a hundred schools and thousands of children have been reached by this is there any kind of similarity to the sort of questions that they ask? I think it, it so depends on age I think when we work in primary schools they are fixated by space and the universe and if we do work with fossils and dinosaurs those questions come up a lot Uh, as we move into older groups and we go up to sixth form level the questions get more personal and it's questions surrounding identity and questions surrounding suffering comes up a lot Back to you, Sarah, for a moment. You work with primary school children and one of the things that you're interested in is explaining to them the complexity of the world. Yes, we have a a very small collection of fossils that are all genuine fossils and so children have a chance to get hands-on with those, have a look at them and look at the fossils and and make some guesses and kind of do a bit of detective work of what clues they can get from those about the creatures that those fossils have formed from and then out of that saying well what questions can't you answer from looking at those fossils so we do a kind of a timeline of life on earth how life on earth has evolved then looking at those fossils making those guesses collecting clues but then looking at well what questions are we left with things like why we're here what's the purpose of life that kind of scientific knowledge that they're using there can't answer everything that they're asking children like mystery don't they one of the keys to good teaching is to yeah introduce mystery but not a vast 
mystery. You want it to feel somewhat manageable. I think you can easily get overwhelmed when you just realise, I don't know this. I don't. And at that point, often people just turn away and cease to engage with it. One of the things I do is talk about how special the earth is, how finely tuned the earth is for life. So one of the workshops I do with primary children is about light and we get to make little rainbows and look at rainbows through glasses and create an instant rainbow that they can think about light and how special light is. One of the first verses in Genesis is that God created light and I was a research scientist and I I worked with light for many years and it's wonderful for me to be able to say to them, I understand all the science of light the science of light is incredible but also God created light and I believe that as much as I believe the science of light and to be able to share that with them they've all got an experience of what a rainbow is and they've all got an experience of what light is and to say that the earth is so incredibly finely tuned with this energy of light without light there would be no life in the earth and the earth is so incredibly finely tuned for life it's just a wonderful thing to be able to open up those questions why is it that our planet earth is so beautifully designed what we call fine tuning is a beautiful design for life why is that and i think also it's saying i don't know myself and i find this question captivating curiosity is is a big part of being a scientist We do get a lot of questions about suffering with teenagers and we have to be honest sometimes and say we don't know the answer to every one of your questions and if it maybe it's a scientific question then we say being a scientist is about asking questions and growing up into adulthood it's about looking at the big questions in life and where you stand on them, where you've come from in your family, where you think your thinking, your beliefs are going. You know, all of those big questions are part of our maturing in our life. Looking at those big questions about life and death and the big questions, part of our maturing as people. Often science becomes divorced of morality and ethics and we we see it as two separate subjects. And really when we come to uh, look at problems like climate change we really need to bring that morality that ethics that human side into the science as well because if we just look at it as a science problem we don't have a real compelling reason to uh, solve it other than just curiosity yeah i actually did a workshop with um, a group of year 10s on on genetic editing and and considering that question last week and just the questions that have come out of of that we have this technology that's developing what amazing things we could do with that but stopping to think just because we can should we and what the consequences of that might be um and also particularly in a faith context you know, phrases like playing god is it god-given knowledge or or is it taking things a step too far i was really pleased with how they engaged on that 15 year olds mm. so did they feel that the playing god could be a very dangerous thing they were really split. We looked at the story of Chinese scientists who created two babies that had been genetically edited, trying to create HIV resistance. And so we kind of used that as a case study, whether that was a right or wrong thing to do. For some of them, they were like, we can heal people, we can possibly eradicate some diseases, but others saying, no, because where where's it going to stop? You know, we shouldn't be pursuing technologies like that, that perhaps are God has created us in the way he intended and so we shouldn't be changing that. Yeah, to hear them come up with those ideas and debate that amongst themselves was was great.
Unfortunately, the compatibility of science and religion is often viewed very negatively. If you believe in God, you can't believe in science. And if you believe in science, if you accept all the scientific principles, how can you possibly believe in God? Often the debate is uh, characterised by the negativity, by the conflict and the aggression from, from both sides. Uh, to be fair. And I think one of the things this project is trying to do is that let's look at some of the positive things of what happens when you get these two subjects and effectively you, you put them together, mash them up and say, what, what can science uh, teach you about your faith and what can faith teach you about your science and, and focus on the good things that are coming out. And it, in most cases, uh, me as a scientist and me as someone as faith, there's 95% where everything overlaps and everything reinforces and encourages the other. There's just that 5% area where there's a bit of doubt or questioning going on. And so much of the debate focuses on that 5% and not the 95%. I think so much of what we focus on is is asking questions. And as Matt said, you know, that kind of 5% of questioning, um, trying to make that a really positive thing. One thing I like to talk about is that I came from a non-faith background. I was brought up without any faith. Uh, during my research science, I did become a Christian through a Christian friend. And I'd understood that the universe was incredible as a scientist. And then to see it through the eyes of faith was even more incredible. And one thing I've learned recently is that 75% of Nobel Prize winners in chemistry and physics, which is my field, chemistry and physics, 75% of them roughly are people of faith. And the vast majority of those people are Christians. So for me, I would sum it up by saying science points towards God, not away. You look at the incredible universe and you just have to say, wow, what an incredible universe and for me what an incredible god behind it i think one of the reasons we do this project is we can discuss it but let's actually enjoy the world and yeah. see the best in it Guests on Praise Today are Dr. Matt Pritchard, Sarah Mooring and Suzanne Kalka, and they're on the island with God and the Big Bang, delivering a programme to primary school children designed to help them form their own opinions and engage in well-reasoned discussion about the place for science in God's world. Recent research has shown that nearly 60% of 16-year-olds think that science makes it difficult to believe in God. So I wondered how the God and the Big Bang project can really affect this. Project coordinator Suzanne Kalka explains. We conduct research in schools before our event and after. So during the day we give out a survey at the beginning of the day and the end of the day um, asking questions like, does science disprove God at the beginning of the day? And then we ask the same question at the end of the day. Are evolution and Genesis compatible, we ask at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, and we see a big change in thinking. Um, you know, we can go up from 25% to 50% um, saying about compatibility of, of um, evolution and Genesis in, in the day, which is amazing. But we want to take that research deeper and find out where our pupils' thinking starts at. You know, where do their beliefs come from um, if they believe that evolution and genesis are incompatible where did that belief come from we want to go further back 
and see why they have those beliefs to start with. And also, you are meeting young people from all manner of different ethnic backgrounds. Yes. So all this has got to be taken into consideration, hasn't it? Yeah, I think um, one of the great strengths of Genesis is that it's upheld by the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, the Muslim faith. And some of the first words in Genesis are saying that the universe had a beginning from nothing. And if we look at the Big Bang Theory, that's exactly what the Big Bang Theory says. The universe had a beginning from nothing. And the most eminent atheist scientists would say the Big Bang Theory is the best theory to fit the evidence. So Genesis, written thousands of years ago, that's upheld by Muslims, by Jews, by Christians, fits with the Big Bang Theory. And finally, I wondered how developing and presenting this project had affected their own faith. I was a secondary science teacher for many years and I thought it was a great privilege. Students obviously value their teachers and it was wonderful to be able to have some input into their lives. But I was always slightly frustrated that I didn't get to share any of my faith. And for me, this has been a wonderful opportunity to share my faith as well. And for me, it reminds me of the call by Jesus to his disciples when he said, you are fishermen and I want you to be fishers of men. I want you to draw people to me through your talent. And for me, it's been a call to draw students using my talent in science to draw them closer to God. So that is an amazing privilege for me. Standing in front of an audience of pupils week in, week out, trying to answer their really big, really complex, really deep questions inevitably is going to challenge both my thinking and and my faith as well. And so I've, I've grown through that. I think faith that hasn't been tested isn't really faith at all. Thank you to members of the God and the Big Bang Project, Suzanne Kalker, Sarah Mooring and Dr Matt Pritchard. And now let's delve into my programme archive and listen to part of an interview I recorded well over 20 years ago when I had the privilege of meeting Reverend Dr John Polkinghorne, a man described as the finest British theologian and scientist of our time and a leading voice on the relationship between science and religion. Brought up in a Christian household, John Polkinghorne spent 30 years developing his career as a gifted physicist and latterly President of Queen's College, Cambridge, a position he resigned in 1996 in order to train and be ordained priest in the Anglican Church. He was knighted in 1997 and in 2002 received the £1 million Templeton Prize, awarded for an exceptional contribution to affirming life's spiritual dimension. During his brief visit to the island all those years ago, it was this very subject, the compatibility of science and faith, that he spoke about. Well, I think they're reconciled because they're both concerned with the search for truth about the world. And religion is concerned with the deeper truth, perhaps, than science is concerned with. My God is the one who created this world, holds it in being. And I think that we see something of his mind and something of his purpose in the beautiful patterns that science discovers in the physical world. But God is more than that. My God is the one who has made himself known in Jesus Christ. It's a very exciting Christian idea that God, who's so difficult to think about, has made himself known by living the life of a man in Jesus Christ. If we want to know what God is like, we look to the life of Christ. That's my God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Am I right in thinking that you see the world as very orderly? Everything has an explanation, everything has a cause and a fixed effect. How do you reconcile that orderly world with the great leap of faith 
that it needs to believe in something that we can't see, that we can't explain. Well, the world is certainly orderly, but not to the point of being absolutely rigid and clockwork. It, we're not sort of trams running along fixed lines, and we know that ourselves, I think, because we know we have choices about things, we decide to do things. And 20th century science has found that the physical world, though it has an order and a pattern to it, it is not so tightly ordered that nothing new can happen. And I find that an exciting insight about the world. And that's how we're able to act in it, in my view, and that's also, I think, how God acts in the world. Often in the face of great tragedies, people will say, how could God let this happen? The problem of suffering is a very deep problem, and I wouldn't want to suggest there is some very easy answer to it. There are lots of mysteries and, and painful perplexities about, about suffering. But I think, you see, that God allows the world to be itself. He is, the world is not a sort of uh, puppet theatre in which God pulls every string and makes everything happen. He allows us to make our own decisions. He allows the world to be itself. And we've learned, for example, that exactly the same physical processes that enable new forms of life to come about, cells to change and create new forms of life, if you're going to have those processes, you're also going to have similar processes which will enable some cells to change and become malignant, to become a source of cancer. So I don't think you can have a world that is both fruitful, having new things, new life occurring in it, without the necessary cost of sometimes things going wrong, like disease and disaster. I think that God has a purpose in the world. I don't think it's an accident that beings like ourselves, who are self-conscious, who are able to, to know God and to worship Him, I don't think it's an accident that we've, we've arrived on the scene. I don't think that God has an absolutely detailed plan. I don't think he decided, for example, right from the start, that human beings were going to have five fingers. I think that's just something that happens to have happened in that sort of way. So if you think of the story of creation as being like a piece of music, it's not like the performance of a fixed score that somebody has written out, so all the notes are there and you've just got to play them whether you like them or not. It's much more like a sort of jazz improvisation in which God allows the world to do its thing and interacts with it and seeks always to bring good out of sad things that happen. But it isn't a fixed story absolutely from the start. The Bible's very important to me and it's when you read something that's important, you've got to figure out what it is you're reading. We know, for example, that if you read poetry, it's different from reading prose. When Robert Burns says, my love is like a red, red rose, he doesn't mean that his girlfriend has green leaves and prickles. And we know that because we know it's poetry and it's not prose. Now, when we read the beginning of the Bible, we read the first two chapters of Genesis, they're not there, I, I think, they're not there to give a sort of scientific description of how things happen. They're there to give a religious answer of why things happened. And what they say to us is that everything there is in the world exists because God wills it to be so. God said, let there be. So I don't think I have to choose between what Genesis tells me, that God wills the world to be, and what my science tells me about the story of the Big Bang and the fascinating history of the 15,000 million years of the universe's uh, lifetime. I need both of them if I understand what's going on. I don't have to choose. Basically, science is asking the question, how things happen, and religion is asking the question, why do things happen? Now, we're perfectly familiar with the idea that you can ask and answer both of those questions about the same thing. You come into my kitchen, say, the kettle is boiling. I act as a scientist. I say the kettle is boiling because the gas is burning, the ga burning gas heats the water. I give you the scientific story of how it comes about. I can then take off my science hat and say, 
The kettle's boiling because I want to make a cup of tea. Would you like to have one? That's an answer in terms of why. What's the purpose behind it? And both of those things are true. And if you truly understand what's going on in my kitchen, I guess you need both stories. We need science to tell us how the world works. We need religion to tell us the deeper and I think more interesting question of why the world is the way it is and what's really going on. Faith isn't the question of shutting your eyes and gritting your teeth and believing impossible things. It's the search for the deepest possible truth about the world. And I'm always trying to persuade my, my scientific friends that I have reasons for my religious belief. It doesn't just that the church has told me or the Bible's told me I've got to believe this. I have reasons for thinking it's actually true. Not without puzzles, of course. I don't say I understand everything. Of course I don't. But I do think they have things to, t- to tell each other. Science tells religion what the very interesting and fruitful history of the world in which we live has been. Religion tells science what is the meaning behind that history, what is the nature of being a human being. It deals with questions like, do we have a destiny beyond our death, for example? We all know we're going to die. In fact, the universe is going to die one day. But religion tells me, and I believe it, it tells me that God will not be conquered by death, and he will have a purpose for you and me and for all his creation, even beyond our eventual death.
Thank you for listening to this week's Praise Podcast. There's a new Praise Podcast available every Sunday morning. You can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify via the Manx Radio smartphone app or at manxradio.com. The Praise blog is where you'll find our full church notice board, alongside details of everything that we've talked about on today's programme. Again, go to manxradio.com, on the homepage, click on air, and on the drop-down menu, follow the link for blogs. So, till we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for your company, and I wish you, and those you love, every blessing in the days ahead. i